Welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, counselor at Beechwood High School, and I'm here with Joel Ford, a counselor at Connor High School. Uh, listening to us with bated breath is Mike Piergowski, our producer. Uh, he's thinking, at least I'm getting paid to be here. <laughs> right? Right, guys? Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> this week's topic is super complicated, but way more relevant to the average person than you might expect. Uh, industry insiders. I, Joe, I don't know. Is, is that us, industry insiders? It makes us sound good. It so, yes, good. we are yeah. industry insiders. Yeah, we, we already know a lot of the implications, but I guarantee 99% of people outside the business of college admissions have absolutely no idea what we're talking about yet. But they will after uh, listening to this episode. Yes, they so, will. So we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Uh, so Chris, as we get started, uh, I'd like for you to introduce our special guest for today's episode. You guys have been trapped in a hotel for days with each other. Um, so I know you know him really well. Yeah. And, I've, and so I've, let, everybody, let everybody know who we're talking with today. I've spent more nights in a hotel room with this guy than he ever wanted to spend. Uh, only through guilt and bad luck did these series of unfortunate events happen to him. He's the president I followed through the cycle of KYACAC, as you know, Joel. Uh, sadly, a Notre Dame alum, Notre Dame Duloc, apparently. Uh, he's a NACAC veteran, a college counselor at the Kentucky Country Day School in Louisville, the home of Muhammad Ali, a proud husband and father at 5'11", maybe 170 pounds, I don't know, a lover Let's of craft beer. get ready to rumble! A, a lover of craft beer and now owner of his, will be owner of his very own Get School t-shirt, Danny Easley. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. You you did Danny, short me. You did short me one inch, Reeves. But you, you also foot? but you also shorted me about um, ten to fifteen pounds. So I'm okay with I'm okay with that. I'll, <laughs> I'll take the ten to fifteen pounds less for the uh, for the one inch shorter. So all I'm, right, I'm okay. We'll, yeah, we'll make our adjustments for the next for the next. Episode. Okay, but that's a crucial <laughs> one inch because that's that's the next foot. That is the next, but it puts you it puts you over into the level. I just must seem short to to Chris. Well, I'm I'm short, so I just look up and just see people who are taller than me. I don't I don't really know. You, don't you, pay you just guess at everyone, Chris. I know, I know. <laughs> so, Danny, we always start the podcast with a couple of different segments, and we'll get to our main topic in a few minutes. But uh, today, given the state of affairs in the world, I thought we'd talk about our current situations uh, with the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, we're all in different locations today. Uh, Chris and I are both in our respective offices. For now. Uh, for now. Um, while, Danny, we, we see you in your home in Louisville. Um, I, I will say I'm a little bummed. I was ready to play Name That College. Um, I had a dandy when I, I spent some time researching this one. But I'm just going to save it for Reeves. I know he won't get it right. Um, <laughs> Probably not. And so... It'll be funny for next time. So with all the stuff that's going on with the coronavirus, uh, how's your world changed the past week? <laughs> it has changed, yeah, drastically in the last week. 
That's uh, I, I mean, I think a good encapsulation has just been the last like five minutes before we even started recording this was I was at one point in my bed recording this and then had to come down and, you know, like threaten on my children to be quiet for the next 45 minutes to an hour um, before, before getting, um, before, you know, starting our conversation. So it's, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting and unusual. That's for sure. Um, I, I am, um, it's been, it's been good. My kids have been good, but I'm, this is going to get older after a while. I have a feeling. It's everything's happened so so fast, and generally we talked we talked about this. You know, do we need do we need to do a coronavirus episode that sort of thing? And we do try to make these podcast episodes relevant at any time. You know, someone listens to this in the next four or five years, even uh, the topics we discuss would be would be relevant then. But you know, and if anyone is listening to this in the future, this is the episode we have recorded during the the coronavirus time that no one will forget just information and, and changes are coming so fast. So oh, fast. it's, it, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, we, you know, I, I've had several check-ins each day with like our head, our head of school and our head of upper school. And they keep asking me information, you know, for information about, you know, from the college board and AP testing and ACTs and SATs. And by the time I give them one, you know, update, then I have to change the information because there's another update or, you know, information from different colleges about closures or um, things that they're offering students online to um, get familiar with their campuses. All kinds of stuff is changing, um, you know, by the day, really, and by the hour, um, for the most part. So, yeah, it's been it, it's it's been interesting. It'll it will be, and I don't know. Maybe you'll, you guys will have me on for another episode in in a month or two, and we'll, we'll see. We'll, talk about, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> we'll talk so far, about, it's up in the air. Yeah, we'll talk about how. But I think that um, you know, after it was interesting at, after nine eleven, so many societal changes were made with you know travel, airport travel, security. Sure things like that. It'll be interesting to see what major societal changes come about because of this virus. And, and I think a lot of it is going, I think a lot of those big societal changes will have to do with, with education and secondary education, you know, education on all levels, I think, um, will, will change in some, in some regard. I think, I think you're absolutely right. That if you even knows what, what will be coming, um, but it's yeah, it's been it's been crazy. It's been, uh, you know, the three of us, I think all three of us were on uh, email chain yesterday or the day before. I don't want to mention the college or anything like that, because I know it's some kind of inside inside talk, but just wondering if the May 1 deadline should be extended till June 1 this year. And if if a college should choose to do that. And, you know, we went several high school people went back and forth on. Uh, how, how they thought how they thought this would go and and what the benefits or downsides would be of of moving the May one line to June first, uh, but again, people just actively considering all these all these changes that might come through. I think the thing I've noticed just, I mean, we're on probably day eight since all of this really started to to move quickly, but. I've just been impressed one with the adaptability of educators um, just in, in a matter of hours. Let's figure out how to teach remotely. 
Um, and then just the, the renewed confirmation of how resilient kids are. Um, you know, at least in our building, you know, kids are getting online. They're having teleconferences with teachers. They're doing all the things that we're asking them to do. And um, in a situation that none of us have ever dealt with before. So those are those are just two things I would have mentioned I've seen in the past week um, come out of all of this. And Joel, I would agree. I think that that's been, that's been something that I've been impressed with too, is adaptability, both of the, of the teachers and, and of the students and this, and that the students have really, um, from what I've seen, students have really kind of taken this pretty seriously as far as, you know, we're doing online classes for our students. We started that on Tuesday um, and, and the students are doing what they're supposed to do and really taking this seriously and cooperating and, and engaging. And, um, and, and that's, that's been really nice to see. Yeah. Teachers. I mean, imagine that teachers one day they're teaching classes and practically the next day they have to deliver online instructions and or online instruction and teach. Yeah. It's been pretty, pretty amazing. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying last Thursday, we had kids in the building. We were off school on Friday in our district. Monday, the teachers were here in our building. And by the end of the the day, Monday, they were packed up and ready to teach from home on Tuesday. So, you know, within four days, everyone's world is completely different as far as school is concerned. And, and let's face it, man, the internet is winning right now because there are some of the greatest, funniest memes, comments. Mm -hmm. I mean, stuff about like, and I don't know one of them I saw it's, you know, parents expelling their kids. Yeah. 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 Homeschool started (laughs) yesterday and I already have one kid expelled, you know, like just some really, really good stuff fired for drinking on the job. I mean, just like lots and lots of funny things coming out because part of resiliency I think is laughing and, and, you know, taking things lightly when you, when you can and enjoying yourself. Yeah. And, and I think it's also been, what I've noticed too, is I think it's given, um, even though we're not together, even though the students and the, and the faculty aren't together, I think it's given, um, students and faculty an, an opportunity to maybe get to know each other in a different capacity or in a different way. I know like, you know, my kids the other day for the first day for every one of their classes, they went around, and they introduced their pets, you know, to like their that's class, awesome. you know, stuff like mm. that. Like, you know, that's not something that you, you normally wouldn't welcome your teacher or your students into your home. Right. Mm-hmm. And, right. and kind yeah. of interact with students in that way. So I think that that's, um, that's been, been interesting and, and kind of cool to see. Awesome. You know what we should do? We should take a break and come back exactly. with our with our actual topic. What do you think? Sounds I good. I think we're ready for it. I think we're ready for it. All right. So let's take a break and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Right, we're back with Get Schooled by Reason 4. In our second and third episodes, we dealt with an FBI investigation into college admissions. Here we are, right at about a year later, and who knew? We're dealing with another federal agency. 
Our, this is the world our 12th, of college admissions. Who knew? This is our 12th episode, right? Right. This is our third episode about a department of or a federal investigation. <laughs> so we're, we're Something is wrong with this tw- picture. 25% of our podcasts are revolving around federal investigations. That's good not, quick math. A, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm an English teacher, so that's good. <laughs> uh, all right, guys, we need to tell our listeners what happened if they're outside the NACAC and college admission world, but in not so much detail that it overly complicates the purposes of this particular episode. We don't want to rehash completely what happened. Uh, we want to spend more time in this episode talking about how it changes college admissions for everyone. So let's let's talk about let's talk about the players. Uh, All right. Do you want me to do that, Joel, or you want to do it? Um, I I can do it. Okay, cool. So so probably two main things. Um, one with NACAC, uh, we're going to be talking about the CEPP, the Code of Ethics of Professional Practice. Uh, it's sort of the governing document of how to do college admissions ethically and fairly. Sometimes I just call it the rules of college admissions if I'm explaining it to parents or things like that. Right. Like these these are the so, it's an ethical document, but these these are the rules. So it's the rule book, um, and the CEPP was revised. Doesn't seem to be strong enough. It was reinvented, reimagined, yeah, yeah. rewritten um, in yep. September 2017. So you've got this document, like Chris said, that basically tells you how to play the rule the the world of college admissions then you've got the department of justice and more specifically their antitrust division so you know most people know this but the idea of of antitrust is that everything in our country must exist in a free trade market Um, coke can't call pepsi and set prices they can't collaborate to try and 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 work together to raise prices they can't band together to control a market and you can't have a monopoly on free trade. Uh, you, you've, you've got to allow that free trade to exist. So, so those a, are the two main things that we're talking all about. Right. And that's the job of the antitrust division to police America, to make sure there's no. Monopolies no, or, monopoly. or violations. Gotcha. Right. All right. So I don't know, you guys probably know this personally, but uh, I was in the board of, I was on the board of directors recently, uh, literally in Arlington, Virginia, when when Joyce, the CEO, got the call, it was my first my first board meeting through my cycle uh, was in, I, I believe, November of that year. Uh, the Department of Justice. Yeah, the Department of Justice launched an inquiry into three statements of the CEPP, and that was November 2017. Uh, we're talking two years of going back and forth between attorneys. And after two years, the Department of Justice felt exactly the same way they felt in November of 2017. Well, and and, and can I add just a little snippet to this? Yeah, sure. When, when, when the CEPP was passed, because you were sitting in that assembly the same as I was. Proudly. If, if I remember yeah. correctly, it was passed unanimously. There were... It was. And it, you know, there were a little over 200 people from all of the affiliates that reviewed this and voted on it and it was passed unanimously. It was. And then two, two months later, the phone call happens. That's correct. So, so after two years of, of all of this in September of 2019, 
Um, NACAC, you know, they're kind of afraid this is this is going to turn into a big federal lawsuit. There's a lot of expenses that they're accruing um, over the course of the last two years working uh, to resolve this with the DOJ. So NACAC elected, um, they, they asked the, the, the bodies that would just, de- that would decide this to remove the three statements in question. The same um, assembly, so, essentially not the same people, but the same assembly that unanimously sure. approved it in 2017 had to go back. And so basically, yeah. So basically the representatives from each of the 23 affiliates. Right. Um, and so a federal complaint was filed on December 12th of 2019 and the case was officially wrapped up and entered into the federal register on January 10th, 2020, which would be about 26 months after all of this started. Case closed. Right. Done. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. There's a whole lot to go into and I'm trying not to go into those two years because I want to go into what what's happening now as opposed to before. But I just I have this desire to say that between November 2017 and September of 2019, um, NACAC as a staff, as an organization, as a, as, a, as a group of leaders, did everything they could to protect the rules that they felt were were passed for for um, for good reasons. And it just um, it just didn't it just didn't go. And to save the organization, uh, fighting a federal organization like the Department of Justice in court is would be silly. And and NACAC decided not to do that. Um, so anyway, moving on. Um, I want to include a little more here from the court papers. So I made some notes on what I want to what I'd like to review. Uh, one of the terms and maybe this will put it in light for people a little bit. One of the terms in the court documents um, the DOJ used the term sale of college services. So we call it going to college or paying for college, but this is the lens the Department of Justice has. Um, the sale of college services, uh, like it's real consumerism stuff, which is what sometimes we actually teach our in our in this podcast. We teach, uh, we, we say it all the time. Be a yeah. good be a good consumer. Uh, but here's one short paragraph from the Federal Register. As part of its CEPP. NACAC includes certain rules regarding recruitment of students by colleges. Prior to September 2019, among these rules were ones that prevented or severely limited colleges from. So here are the three provisions uh, for, right. for listeners and for us to get into. One, directly recruiting transfer students from another college. That was prohibited in the past. Two, offering incentives of any kind to college applicants who's applied, who, who applied via a process known as early decision. So incentives for early decision. We'll talk about those a little bit. And three, recruiting incoming college freshmen after May 1st. So very Perhaps quickly. Perhaps the most sacred date in college admissions. It is a sacred date, for both for two directions, and now mm-hmm. it's only a sacred date in one direction. But so to summarize, <laughs> and then Joel, I want you to talk about how these violate antitrust. Uh, okay, because they so, do, they do right. violate antitrust. Um, quick summary. All right, so I'm going to go back to my social studies teaching roots here. Oh, you um, just love this, don't you? Oh man, I couldn't <laughs> even sleep last here night. Here we go. So, so essentially, let's go back to 1890. 
uh, to the Sherman Antitrust Act, which was probably one of the first major pieces of legislation to, to, to try and break up trusts and monopolies. Um, the idea of the act was that it prohibited anti-competitive agreements and unilateral conduct that monopolizes or attempts to monopolize the market. Okay. Um, it, author- it authorized the Department of Justice to bring lawsuits um, to, for conduct that violated that act. So here's where, here's where our situation came from. Um, right. And it's also preventing raising of prices by restriction of trade or supply. And, and we're going to come back to this idea of restriction of trade here in just a minute. Sure. Um, the, the pertinent parts that, that I think we need to mention Every contract combination in the form of trust or otherwise or conspiracy in, retra- in restraint of trade or commerce among the states or with nations is declared to be illegal. So if you violate that, there's three parts. There has to be an agreement, number one. Number two, that unreasonably restrains competition. And three, which affects interstate commerce or essentially trade. Okay. Now, what makes this a little different? I think we're talking about people rather than straight goods. Um, but but if we think about it in the, the the realm of consumerism, the goods and services we're talking about, we're talking about students and college educations. So if we keep it, if we keep looking at it through that lens, then I think you can understand what we're talking about with these antitrust laws. I got to listen to a lot of attorneys talk over this time because, you know, being on the board the whole time this is going on, uh, the agreement doesn't even have to be written. And that's something that was discussed. In fact, members early on who were really fighting this mentally, and and I understand that, uh, were like, well, we can just decide. It doesn't have to be written down. And our attorneys were like, no, 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 no. You cannot even come to an understanding that would completely fulfill exactly what they're trying to say, which is an agreement. Right. In fact, that's that's that makes it worse. (laughs) The fact that we wrote down what we did shows that we didn't really understand it or we thought it was for the right reasons or didn't think that it was a product like it is. But mm-hmm. no, you cannot come to you cannot come to an agreement like that, dude. You're smart. Was there any? Was I? I, Chris, I, have, I have a question. Yeah. Just yeah. since you were in a lot more of those, and obviously more of those meetings than Joel and I were, um, yeah. was there? I'm, and I'm sure there was, but I would be interested in how, how the the conversation went with um, that idea of um, goods and services, and as opposed to the the education of as as opposed to students and the education of people it's it is a it is a very that did come up a lot um these these rules in the CEPP were put into place um in the minds of those who wrote these rules to protect students but that's not the lens the department of justice has the department of justice is a very very clear lens does this restrict trade and when you tell um a company college that it is not allowed to uh, recruit a student and give a student, let's say, a a better offer after May 1st, then you are restricting competition. They see it as you are protecting students. We'll get, we will get into this even more, but yeah, 
the Department of Justice's lens would be if the student could get a better offer and these rules were prohibiting them from getting a better offer, then these rules are restraining trade. Right. And they see that they, they, again, there was a lot of time spent with Joyce and with, with attorneys teaching the Department of Justice, the college admissions process and our role, because they had to learn that before they could even like rule on things a little bit more. Uh, but both, both groups of people feel like they're protecting students. It's just a very, very clear lens. It seems like, though, there's almost a little bit of a clash between a focus on the, the humanity of college admissions versus the consumerism of college admissions. Well, Does that yeah, make sense? That's, a, that's, just, a, that's, exactly, that's exactly just what's happening. Just the whole way you're, you're approaching the situation. Um, well, our attorney seems said, completely different. Our attorney said to us, you know, you, you, it's clear you are restraining trade. It's for a reason. Right. But you are restraining trade. You can't argue that. You can't, you can't fight that. You can't say you're not restraining trade when you literally tell a college that after this day, you're not allowed to send a better offer to someone. Right. But the reasons behind it were a lot more complicated than the Department of Justice, for example, would be willing to, to like care about. Uh, right. it's, it's their lens. That goes back to Danny's question. You know, you're, the lens is. Right. And, and I, and this, we know we, we've talked about that. We talked about this a few minutes ago before we were recording was, um, you know, you wonder if, if, and I hate to say this, but you wonder if higher education has kind of, it kind of got themselves into this pickle themselves because now higher education is, is, uh, done in such a big business type model and such a business type model, as opposed to maybe what it was 25, 30 years ago. Um, and whether that maybe highlighted some of these things that maybe wouldn't have been highlighted years ago. I personally agree with that statement 100%. One, the cost, the relative costs compared to, you know, if you look at average income or minimum wage uh, trajectory versus college cost trajectory, you know, college costs have exponentially increased. The marketing strategies colleges are using are, are, tenfold more complex with big data and big business. So yeah, it is the, the business is operating like a yeah, business. I mean, every, every little tentacle that, that, that touches um, higher education, there's, there's mu- there's a lot of money tied up into it. Right. I mean, from, from testing to test preparation to um, you know uh, anything that goes on, on, you know, just from, like you said, the rising costs of, of education, um, to publications and rankings to, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that, um, now are just commonplace within, um, the college admissions world that weren't there, you know, 25 or weren't as big a deal, um, there 25 or or 30 years ago that make it more of a business as, as opposed to kind of a strictly educational venture. That's a really good point because I know a lot of the comments were, you know, most of the CEPP didn't change a whole lot in 2017. These particular statements weren't one of the, weren't weren't changed. They've always been there, but uh, but with with these te- things you're talking about, um, perhaps that that played a role. We actually don't know how this came into the to the crosshairs of the Department of Justice. 
any complaint, anything anyone could have noticed, someone from the DOJ could have read an article, uh, a member college or non-member college could have just complained. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it came to light somehow. And once it did, and the investigation started then, or the inquiry, rather, that's the official term, the inquiry started. There you go. So, so Chris... Let's do this. Let's take a break. Okay. Because we've got a lot of questions that we want to get to and and really kind of dive into what does all this mean for students and parents. Um, and I think we've got a lot of questions to consider. Um, and so if we can, let's take a break. And we'll be back in just a few minutes with Get School. And we'll hear more from our guest, Danny Easley. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. All right, guys, enough messing around. Let's get to what everyone wants to know. How does this impact me? Especially for those for those folks who are who are not kind of in the middle of it already. Here we go. Question. Well, I'll say question one. There's a million questions, but uh, but the first question we have is so before this year, after May first. Colleges could not contact a student who committed to another college. Now they can. How does that change things? Well, I I will be interested to know how many. I, th- I think this year is going to be really interesting with the first year that these changes um, have been put into effect. Um, I... I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what are the first schools that kind of do this um, and and kind of sure. uh, push the push the envelope a little bit. Um, with and who's got students. the guts to be first? Right, yeah. right. And to be honest with you, I, I really I think it's probably going to be this. It's it's obviously going to be the schools that are under enrolled, right? Um, yes. So they, they mm. haven't met their class, and they need students. Right, and um, and I know there's a lot of hand wringing and, and, um, with what schools will do. I, I, I feel for, um, the, I feel for the administrators and the Dean of, of, um, you know, enrollment services at the schools that have to do that for the first time. But I try to look at it from their point of view too. Like, you know, if you're under enrolled and this isn't an, an opportunity for you, then you're probably going to take it. Right. Um, if the, I would if, think the, so. if the, if whether the livelihood of the people on your campus, the professors, whether you're programming, whether you're, um, you know, whether you're going to be able to keep your doors open in your, in your, on your college campuses, it relies on, on that enrollment. Then I think there's going to be, there's going to be some, some schools that do it. This sounds very businessy, but students, students drive revenue. Right. And that's the way things have become. That's what it's become. I don't know. Right. I, I talked to an unnamed source earlier today. Unnamed. Ooh, source. I love unnamed sources. Unnamed, <laughs> unnamed, unnamed organization. I, uh, I can't verify that this person is a real person. It's a real person. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is a real person. We all, we all, we all know. But it's um, he's unconvinced that a whole lot will change on May second. We'll get into it in a little while, but he thinks changes will come in the fall. But on May 2nd, you know, if somebody calls 
another, if someone calls a school and says, hey, I haven't committed or not even that, but like, hey, I'm interested in your school. The first question someone doesn't ask is like, well, to make sure I'm being ethical, I need to find out from you if you've committed to another school. And if you have, then I'm not allowed to talk to you. Like those aren't, those aren't how conversations went in the past. So a whole lot of what could happen on May 2nd has already been happening on May 2nd, which are conversations between prospective students and colleges. I, I would I would agree. I don't think we're going to see like a huge a, an influx of this and, and huge changes. Um, I think it's going to be. Um, I, I think it will happen um, where there will be student. Will there will be schools reaching out to students? Um, but I think it's going to be pretty. I, I, I also think that it won't. It's not going to affect a lot of students either. I think that. In my opinion, right. if schools were to reach out to students, they're going to be reaching out to select students that they know <laughs> that, that they would maybe be able to um, to get to to change maybe their enrollment at another institution. Right. right? Maybe someone they recruited for a while that did not choose. Right. To come to right. Or maybe they maybe they knew that this student, um, you know, didn't didn't enroll at their school because their financial aid package wasn't as good um, as maybe some other schools. So they're going to reach back out and maybe they give them a little bit more um, financial aid or something along those lines. But I think it will be very um, strategic in nature. I don't think there's going to be like blanket emails being sent out to, to students. Right. So here's what Joel, you got something. Yeah. I just, because if, if we think the answer to the first question, things aren't going to change. I'm curious about our next question. Before this year, colleges were not allowed to offer extra incentives to early decision applicants. Now they can offer whatever they want, better housing, more scholarships, free puppies, <laughs> which, which that might make me sign up early. Uh, so now that you can offer those incentives, how does that change things? I, Yeah, that that's going to be I think there will be um, probably I think there's going to be a little bit more prevalence on that end. <laughs> <laughs> in my so colleges, colleges, you know, for, for people who aren't involved a ton with this. So colleges who have early decision, which is the binding agreement can now legally provide a service, a scholarship, a feature, anything that they do not offer a regular decision applicant uh, to entice someone to, to do early decision applications. Did I right. say that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Chris, I'm, I'm interested, um, since you know, you were a little bit more on the inside in this and I'm interested to know because that seems, this is the one, the one situation to me that seems a little bit hypocritical with the way things have gone with the DOG's or DOJ's, um, decision on this is that, um, they're allowed, they would allow, uh, early decision to stay in place, which in like my opinion, right at all, which in my opinion mm -hmm. goes against kind of what they were arguing in the first place with, with, um, you know, uh, anti trade and things like that. Um, but I, I, I just don't understand why you would keep how they could keep the early decision in place. Um, and then allow for kind of the rules of early decision to change, because that seems to be the point where you're, you're limiting, you're limiting free trade in that, in that regard, in my opinion. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But what the, the only thing I can think of, and this is something that we talked about, we talked about some, I probably shouldn't or can't get into like every detailed conversation from every member of the board or anything like that. But what I, 
what I think the DOJ would say to that is that is is perhaps they get a better deal. So if you have a situation where where a consumer can get a better deal, then a college would be allowed to give them a better deal. Uh, on my on a personal standpoint, far from the board, far from Kentucky ACAC, far from any of that. Um, you know, I, I, I've never been the biggest fan of early decision for students I've worked with in public schools in Kentucky. Mm. And it never seems like a fair playing field because it's hard to, it's hard to commit to early decision when you don't know what your financial aid package is, or, you know, you couldn't afford to go there. Right. And, and to that point, you know, it's not, um, I guess it's, it's the, the level playing field also, you know, we all know that for the most part, early decision helps students who are of means to sure, yeah, to go that mm-hmm. route and to pay for pay for college, and also students who are of means that have you know the resources of college counselor to tell them it's to their their advantage um, to yeah, do both. early decision, mm-hmm. um, and students who kind of ahead of their game and have done their testing really early and have gotten their applications um, finished early. You know, it it advantages that group of students. Um, so in, in this regard, it seems like you're, you're advantaging, you're giving even extra advantage to the already advantaged, which is, is, is my kind of beef with the whole thing. Yeah. Sure. With this yeah. provision, I guess. Yeah. I don't think there's any arguing that on, on my end. I think, the, I, think- I, I think the, I think the more equitable or the, the, um, I guess the more fair, if they were, if they were wanting to do away with, um, you know, things that were unfair as far as trade would just be to have done done away with early decision. That seems like a more sane and logical. Um, there were times where I'm thinking, I don't that. know why they didn't just go after that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Chris, I, I I just keep coming back in my mind. We When we first started talking about this episode, I used the analogy of going to buy a car. And, and I just, I get this image of the car salesman all right, come on, go on and go on and buy this car. All right, I'll throw in the free oil changes. I'll throw in, you know what? I don't know. It just, I, I it just this. Anyway, I, I don't you know how frustrated, to, Mr. Ford. I, I, I mean, I think I am frustrated. I, <laughs> yeah. just we're losing the the humanity out of some of this. Well, and some of the um, offerings are just I don't know, annoying. I, yeah, I, yeah. Because well, anytime. From what I from what I've seen though, Chris, I don't, and I know that this is going to get a little bit crazier too. A lot of the things that I've seen as incentives. Now, this isn't across the board, but from, from what I've seen from some of the incentives that already schools are doing for early early decision, um, even this year, were things that a lot of schools were doing anyway. Do you know what I mean? They were they oh, were yeah. kind of offering those. They're just a lot more blatant about it now than they were before. There's one particular school in North Carolina that everybody says is super blatant about it, like all the way like for the last seven or eight years, as far as promising certain dorms or discounts. Yeah, parking spots and, and things like that. I mean, I think these yeah. were, I think the schools that, that are, were, are, are going to do it have sort of been doing it for, yeah. for a little while now, yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, so does that mean our code of ethics wasn't as strong as maybe we'd like to think it is? That's a whole other thing, but yeah, probably not. Hmm. 
Well, I think you're you're always going to have people that are going to push the envelope of any type of rules or regulations, right? Or any type of ethic, right. ethics. Um, not that they, not that this necessarily they were doing anything terribly wrong, but you're always going to have players that are going to push the envelope of things. Sure. So to to summarize this one, which is the second provision, uh, students might in the future, if families or students are listening to this this episode, students in the future might begin to see incentives, additional additional incentives for early decision applications. And they've got to decide if that is enough to sway them into an early decision selection when they otherwise would not have wanted to pick early decision. Correct. Yeah. All right. How about the next one? Before this year, colleges could not recruit a transfer student at another school unless that student reached out to them. Now they can contact anyone they want, whenever and however they want. So it's very similar to the May 1 rule for first-year undergraduate undergraduate kids, but it applies to any year. How does this change things? Again, I think this is going to be this is going to be on a uh, on a case by case and very strategic. I think that you know I, I don't foresee. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not on the college side. But I don't see just blanket emails and and phone calls going out to students. I think it's going to be a strategic effort by some schools that need to up their enrollment. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, anxiety out there from people on the on the college counseling side on our side who are worried that. Um, you know, students are going to be inundated with these uh, emails that will come from schools kind of during that time period of, you know, October, November, when students, that first year student right. starts to get a little homesick um, and they start um, and, and colleges may be preying on that type of anxiety or that homesickness that, that first year students are going to or, or will possibly have. Um and trying to get them to enroll or transfer during that time period. I, I don't know. I hope that that doesn't happen. I, I, I try to be optimistic that that's not going to be something that's going to happen across the board. There may be some schools that will do it, but I feel like, um, you know, schools aren't going to want to in enrollment offices and enrollment deans aren't going to want to shoot themselves in the foot and ostracize themselves from the rest of the college admissions society by doing things that are, that are really sleazy. I would hope. Right, right. Maybe so I have more market, trust than I should, but. <laughs> problem. You, you might, you might. That's a, that's a good thing. I So my, my confidential source today, we had a conversation also about like custom audience targeting. For example, like through different apps and through different software, even like a Snapchat or something like that, like geofencing geo ads and reaching out to students in a certain location. And maybe even direct mailings to people. But what will happen is they'll get caught. Like somebody at an institution will see ads popping up on their campus from a competing institution if they choose to do that. Yeah. And the question is, you know, like if your boss, if you're an enrollment manager or you're just the, you know, if you're uh, the director of admissions or something like that and your boss makes you do it, just be prepared for retaliation or being ostracized or whatever, whatever that may be. So it may not be good for business on the long, in the long run, you know, maybe it solves a problem on the front end of getting more students, but does that solve your problem in the long term by hurting your reputation or angering others or annoying people or whatever that is? 
Yeah, you'd hope that a lot of these things that that a lot a lot of these worst case scenarios that a lot of us are running through in our heads um, are just con- are just things that people wouldn't do based on common sense because they don't want to be ostracized or they don't want to be thought of as the unethical institution out there that's doing things that that really they shouldn't be doing or, or sleazy things. But but at what point does the pressure of meeting your enrollment goals and needing those tuition dollars? become, well, maybe I will start doing some things to. Well, exactly. And I don't, I don't, and and I don't think it's going to keep everybody from doing it because like, yeah, because when it comes down to, you know, is is that director, is that VP of enrollment services going to keep their job or lose their job? Then, you know, that you have to make some tough decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's not, when it's not illegal, it's something that, that you can do um, based on, you know, the rules and the practices. That's right. I, you just never know what people will do at varying levels of desperation. But I also, I also wonder too, if I think a lot of times in our profession, we, we have, um, we jump to the maybe worst case, um, scenario or we get worried about things because we know how it's been done in the past. Whereas students who are going through this process, this is their first time going through the process and they don't know any better. And they're also pretty savvy as well. So I I wonder if we're not giving um, students as consumers enough credit to look through you know, and look past a lot of these shenanigans. <laughs> I think I think bad advertising and and slick marketing. I think they they would probably eye roll a lot at that. Yeah, because I mean, you know, also it makes it. There's there's that there's the side from the college. There, there's this college side that they that that you look desperate at some point too if you start to mm-hmm. to to do measures like that. Um, and and how does that look on the people that you're trying to to recruit? Again, something that would hurt you in the long run, right? You might you might solve a couple problems on the on the front end, and hopefully, a, a leader of it at an institution would have more insight than just trying to solve a short term problem. But I'm sure that doesn't happen at every institution. I'm sure there's not great leadership everywhere, right? And I think it's our it's our um, goal. I think now that it's here, and now that now that things are going to change, I think it's our responsibility as counselors and our responsibility as, um, you know, people on the admission side and our responsibility as parts of an organization like NACAC to make sure that we're um, advocating for students and make sure that we're doing the best that we can to inform them about what what's best for them, I guess, in the long run, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have one, one other question, and I think that might unless the people have other things cover a lot of what we talked about, but do you think students will get better offers? I, my gut feeling is that they, that they may. Yes. And, and again, I, I think that those better offers are going to probably be pretty strategic. I don't think everybody's going to get better offers, but I think there'll be a, a group of students, depending on what the enrollment goals of the school for that year, they're going to get better offers probably. But I think that's going on now. So if okay. the market is is truly free, will will average college costs finally start going down? <laughs> no, I doubt it. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that, well, that was depressing. Is no. <laughs> 
think about and this is this is thinking too too deep. I I know that, but I've I've been thinking as this happened. If there are better offers, will the better offers be first offers, or will they or will or will a college maybe the answer you've already answered, which is the strategy of each school, or or will people hold back a little and save their better offers for later? I don't think you play your best poker hand right out of the gate. Is that what the colleges are doing, playing poker hands? Well, I, just to use the analogy. Well, I mean, I but I think it, I think to a certain degree, colleges are already doing this. Um, you know, they have so much information that they're using, and so so many ways and strategic ways are able to analyze, like you know the the um, the likelihood of students to enroll based on all this data that they have, and how much they need to you know offer students as far as as merit based or financial aid based money. That I think there's there's an extent of that going on already, um, so I think this this probably just gives them um, and gives students. I think that's one part that may be a, be somewhat helpful to the students is that um, I think that there this will give students a little bit more of a um, a reason to maybe go back to a school and say, hey, you know, this is I I can't. I can't afford this. I want to, you know, can you do a little bit better as far as your financial aid or your scholarship package goes? Awesome. Joe, do you have any other, any other like major points or do we want to get into our advice for our groups? I think, I think we're ready to, to lay it out for our four groups that we always try and approach everything from. So all right, uh, cool. let's go on and let's take a quick break. We'll come back. And we'll talk about um, what all this means for our four groups of people. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. As always, we look at our issues from four different lenses, and we'll start first with Joel, if you're a school counselor. Which I am. So if you're a school counselor, you must be aware of what these changes are. And I think it's important to maintain a sense of ethics, even if others potentially do not. Um, Students need a consistent source of information when they will have more and more contact from colleges thrown at them. And I think it's important for the school counselor to be that source of consistency and to help students go through all of this new information that may be coming their way. Well said. If you're at a university, I am not even sure what to say right here. Um, Obviously, you need to keep your ethics about you. If you act ethically, provide your best offers up front, you will continue to keep your reputation as an ethical institution. If consumers have a high opinion of you, and we're talking about consumerism, then that's also good for business. I think it would be a mistake to solve solve short-term problems without being aware of long-term consequences. Okay. If you're a parent... Help quiet the noise that will be coming in the direction of your student. We don't know what the future impacts of this change will be, uh, but if it's as we think it could be, all of this could be 
uh, end up becoming very overwhelming to a senior very fast um, and beyond, especially when it's added to all the normal stressors of senior year. So be with your kids, help support them, um, and, and just help guide them as you normally would. If you're a student, be a consumer. Funny that we talk about the business stuff so much on here as far as college, but be a consumer. That's what it's all about. After all, you have to know your product, be confident in yourself. Try not to be bullied by pressures to commit to a school before you know what all your options will cost you. Seek out help from your counselors, have lots of talk with your parents about college fit and money. Once you commit, be prepared for potentially continued communication from other colleges, and it'll be up to you to determine if you change your mind based on based on new information or new offers. We, we simply don't know how all of this will work. So stay confident in yourself and your choices, and it will all work out for you. A lot of Chris, times can I, break. Chris, can I oh, add yeah. something to the, to the parent and, and student? Um, of course. Yeah, thank there. you. Um, I think, too, I mean – you know, Chris and Joel, we, we both know lots of people within this profession on both the high school and college side. And, um, they're, they're, they're good people, right? They're, they're in this, they're in this profession because they like to, to help students. They like to provide an education for students. Um, and I think that, that if students feel overwhelmed or if parents feel overwhelmed or if they feel like they're not getting treated properly or something's being done unethically, then they need to reach out to somebody either at the institution that that's happening or, or they're, or, you know, hopefully they have a guidance counselor they can go to. Um, but reaching out to the institutions and talking with the admissions people there, um, I, I think that they'll get some, they'll get some good advice and we'll get a, 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 a helpful ear, I think, um, from, from those people. Awesome. Thank you. Great, great points. Uh, this week's word of wisdom. Connection is important. This episode is being recorded during a time of national social distancing, but the message of connection is relevant beyond this crisis. Staying connected to others is critical at all times. We may not want people in our face at all time, all the time. I know you don't, Danny, um, <laughs> but it is, but it, right. But it is what we need as humans. Uh, it even drives the college search. How will I be connected to my classmates, friends, professors? How far away will I be from my family? How will I be connected to a school for life? Being connected matters. Every Saturday in the fall, I feel a connection to a school I attended 30 years ago. Oh, Lord. Oh, jeez. No, no, we're not going to talk about that deeper, but it's, but it's, I am connected to that school. Thank you. Thank gosh. It's the school I I went to. I love it. Thank goodness I'm connected there. Yeah. Well, (laughs) (laughs) without connection, without connection, what do we have? Not a not so wonderful place. In fact, maybe that's what, maybe that's what a, a marketing thought for colleges would be. Like, how do we connect students? How do we make sure students will be connected to us and with each other on our campus? Uh, so I guess that's that's the word of wisdom, connection. Understand it's important and and seek it out intentionally and in meaningful ways. Joel, wrap us up Rip. and share what our next episode is. Don't forget, we are on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, lots of places. So we've been um, we've been talking about the idea for this next episode for a while. Um, 
you know, Chris and I both are on the high school side, obviously. Uh, Danny, you are as well, but you have more perspective than we do because you've been on the college side as well. Um, and so, you know, Chris and I have been talking about the idea of when all these applications come in, then what? How does a college and the admissions office, how do they shape a college class? How do they how do they go through all of these applications to form their incoming freshman class? What 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 are those processes? Um, what are those conversations like? Um, Chris, you you've read The Gatekeepers, correct? I have a signed copy from Jacques Steinberg. Oh, shut up. I forgot about <laughs> that. Oh, my God. I forgot about he that. He was on the board of directors with me. We go running I, together. In fact, shout out in this episode. He sleeps Jacques with Steinberg. it under his pillow every night, Joel. I do. I, w- I almost wish I – if the book weren't so good, I almost wouldn't have mentioned it. But <laughs> I totally forgot about that part. But um, You walked you right know, into I, that, didn't you? you I, did. I totally did. I should I should be demoted. Um but but that book's fascinating as far as the conversations and and it, how how that process works. So Chris and I we have a couple of people in mind that we want to bring on the uh, the next episode uh, that would probably look good in a get schooled T-shirt and uh, have that conversation of um, you know here at the end of this school year getting ready to start the next admission year. Um, how how does that that process work for shaping shaping, shaping a freshman class? Yeah, definitely. So uh, with that. With that, thank you for uh, listening. Hey, and, and, and can I say one thing real quick? Yeah. So so between our previous episode and this one, we we broke 3,000 listens. We did break 3,000 um, listens. We've been listened to at least once in six of the seven continents on Earth. I find that amazing. I'm thankful for it. We're still huge in Peoria, Illinois, but we've <laughs> we've actually been listened to in 25 countries now, which I, I I just find awesome. Not that not anything about us, but just that people around the world are interested in these kind of conversations. Very and, true, and I, I just think that's cool. I'm a social studies teacher at heart, so I geek out at this stuff. Um, Congratulations, guys. Um, we should also shout out, uh, thank you to all of our listeners, but we should also shout out to to your partner, Derry Pickin, new father. New father. Hey! Yeah. He he is stuck at home and forced, I think he's forced to listen to this podcast. So that, that'll be some extra. Sorry about your luck, you buddy. Guys. Sorry about your <laughs> luck. All right. Can, can, we get, can we get the new baby and a good school t-shirt? I'm sure, I'm sure the new baby would wear it with pride. We'll get it. Darn right. I, I need Darn to share right. a, a quick story with you all. Um, Derry, after his baby was born, everybody in our faculty was wanting to know the baby's name. And Derry texted me the wrong name for the kid. So for like, for, so for, for basically an entire day, I was going around and telling all the faculty that the baby's name was Ava because he misspelled it in the text. And even a whole email was sent out to the entire faculty with the wrong name on it, which then had to be retracted because his oh, baby's and, and the, name is really Ada with a D, that's not a V. That's wonderful. Yeah. The baby was auto-corrected. That's right. Well, so, he just pulled the, 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 the classic dad move, just screwing things up 
<laughs> like starting with starting hours early. of being a parent. Starting day. with the name. Yeah, <laughs> the he just screwed day. it up. So all right, hey, it gets hey. better from there. Try Danny, it. thank you, thank you for coming on. It's it's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And it's been fun. Yeah, I'm glad glad we all got to do some get schooled, and thank everyone for listening. Talk I was, to you next I figured, time. I figured you all hadn't asked me on just because you were you were intimidated by my luxurious head of hair. I didn't know if y'all only yeah, had bald headed people on on, we, on your we, podcast. We're 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 jealous. <laughs> we're jealous. No, I'm not jealous. I wear my baldness with pride, buddy. <laughs> All right. It's Until been a, it's been a time. blast, guys. I really Until appreciate it. Yes, sir. Goodbye, everyone. See ya. Sorry about that, but we were crowded in 30 minutes. This is gold. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gold, man. Gold, man. <laughs>